Pray with me. Father, we thank you. You are so worthy uh, of, of all things. You are truly King of kings and Lord of lords. And um, we acknowledge that and pray to Jesus, King of glory, now be high and lifted up amongst us in your rightful place. Thank you that you are seated on the throne. Thank you that you have risen and ascended. Thank you that in that you have given gifts to your church. You have not left us and the greatest gift of all, your Holy Spirit, to be with us, to dwell with your people. And so we, as we gather here, uh, this, is not, this is not a sacred place because of these walls or, or this place. Uh, it is sacred because of your Holy Spirit's presence with us. May we never forget that. So indwell amongst us, make yourself known to us and for us. And we pray that you would enlighten your word uh, and you would take these words written 2,000 years ago and you would apply them absolutely powerfully for today and today's culture. Uh, we were once again amazed at the timeless nature of your speaking voice. It does not change. So speak to us, open up our hearts, soften our hearts. Lord, as we want to walk into the light as light, you've said we are light of the world. Uh, we are humbled by that very thought. And you call us to walk in the light. And so we pray that we would do so. And we pray for our kids as they go to class, that they would see you, Jesus, and know you more fully and come to love you more and more every day, uh, that they forever would follow you as your disciples. And thank you for them. They remind us of so much of your presence, of your love, of your grace, of your mercy. And we just pray that we would point them to you every day. So be with them and their teachers today and with us as we turn to your word. For your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen. All right, kids, four through fourth grade, you're welcome to go. And we will turn to God's word, Ephesians 5. We read it last week in its entirety, and we're jumping back to verse 3 this morning, and 3 through 5. Let me just tell us a, a story that somewhat connects, but maybe as a way to ease into this topic. It might be the only chance to chuckle today. I remember vividly a conversation with a youth parent when I was a 20-year-old youth intern here in this church, and some of you might know who I'm talking about, so I won't mention names, but we were having an event. Uh, we tend to have lots of youth events that would bring your friends, let's have fun, play games, and we, would wa we watched a movie at the end of this event, stayed up way too late, uh, I didn't clear the content with parents. I didn't ask for parent permission. I got wind that one of our key families was not going to bring their kids to this event because of the movie we were showing. And it was an animated Disney movie. I thought I was safe. And they had never seen the movie, uh, but they said they'd heard from a friend of theirs, uh, probably a part of their uh, homeschool Christian co-op. And I can say that because that was my heritage growing up as well. So before you think I'm just casting unnecessary shots. But this uh, movie had some inappropriate humor, uh, some lewd innuendos, and a little bit of witchcraft. And I'd seen the movie. I thought it was a good movie. Uh, and I don't even remember what movie it was, but I was fine with it. And I went back to this dad and I said, so I don't even know what movie we could show then. And so probably a little ignorance there. And he responded with a story, with an analogy. He said, Ben, I bake really, really good brownies. And so let's just say tomorrow I bring you a plate of my really famous 
delicious brownies, and I say, Ben, you, these are all for you. Uh, I've done only one thing a little bit different this time. Uh, I went out into my front yard, and I took just a, a teaspoon of dog poop right from my own, my own yard, and I, I mixed it in. And it's, it was just a little bit. Uh, everything else is so good, you probably won't even taste it. He said, would you eat the brownies? I said, I said, you could have just pointed me to Ephesians chapter 5. No, I didn't say that, but he burned the image into my mind and he drove home his point. Do we have a, a gut reaction the same way to God's word? Ephesians 5, 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper amongst the saints. I like the NIV, it's what I first memorized it in, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint, or all impurity, and so the, maybe the analogy applies. But can we even watch TV or movies anymore? Do we have a response to this word the same way we would have a response to a plate of brownies that are a little tainted? Just a little bit. What if you can't even taste it? And pray that we would never become that callous or desensitized. If we are the saints, when Paul uses that term saints, it means the holy ones. Which if we understand what holiness is, it's the set apart ones. Those that are wholly different. God is the holy of holy. He's the totally other, but he calls his people who he indwells with his spirit, the set apart ones. So for the set apart ones, will we never become so callous and desensitized that we would have a heightened spiritual sense, that we would have a distaste for all things unholy and impure, that our reflex would be to spit it out. Okay, so that was just to ease us in. Paul is both general and he is specific. He begins quite specific and then he broadens his focus to the bigger picture. So I'm going to join him in that. This morning I'm going to be rather specific with sexual immorality. And then I'm going to broaden next week to the bigger picture as Paul does and see that sexual immorality, that all impurity and that even greed, as he lists here, is in the broader picture of idolatry. And it's right that we understand idolatry. I think we still misunderstand that our issue and all people's issue is at root with idolatry. So that impurity, greed, and sexual immorality, and any other thing that we might list, and Paul has lots of lists in his writings, that all of those things are symptoms. They are not the root. The root is idolatry, a longing to be fulfilled, to be satisfied, to have purpose, to be complete. That is a human longing. God creates that within us to be fulfilled in him only, that that relationship would be perfectly intimate, that we'd find our source of life in him in all things. When we replace him with any other thing or person or position or power, that becomes an idolatrous pursuit, something that can never fulfill and satisfy, will always leave us empty and needing more. That's the bigger context that we must see this command against impurity and sexual immorality within. So what this means is this sermon is hard, but I, I, I believe we'll end with hope. So hang on to that. And Paul says, but sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named. Must, there must not even be a hint. That Greek word 
There's one word translated sexual immorality, and that word is porneia. Or we get the word pornography. I warned you this was coming. I, I don't really want to preach this message. It is personal, and it is sensitive, and it is uncomfortable. But I believe it's necessary. Parents, if you have kids, and you're not having the conversation with them, someone else is, I assure you. The average age today that a child views hardcore pornography is 11. That is the average age. You know how you get an average? You take the younger and the older. That doesn't mean it's there for every one of us and our kids and our families, but are you having the conversation? They don't need to be looking for it. It is looking for them. It is marketed to them. The pornography industry generates more revenue annually than the NFL. They know how to market, and so does the enemy. Okay, it will find our children. We need to be having the conversation. And by the way, that's just the legal industry that can be tracked. And you say, but wait, time out. I don't want to go too far into this conversation. Uh, Paul, in speaking of porneia, 2,000 years ago, there was no internet, there was no video, there were no magazines, there were no, we can go down the list. And it's true that when Paul speaks of porneia, sexual immorality, any, uh, any sexual experience that is purely fleshly, that is illicit, it was primarily in that context, he's speaking into a, a Greek culture, or even prostitution was a part of their worship at the temple, where prostitution ran rampant through the streets, it was casual, it was normalized. Yes, that is what Paul is talking about. It's not what we might think of when we think of pornography today. But my, my concern is as soon as we start to try to define it and put parameters on it, if that reveals in the heart is, well, that was different. That was other. That was even greater. We start to justify and make excuses. It is no different. Different expressions, but the same heart. As soon as we start to try to define it, it's almost like taking a bite of that brownie and saying, you know what? I actually don't think it's that bad. I don't even taste it. As my youth pastor once said, if you're wondering where the line is, you've already blown past it. And since Jesus is greater than youth pastor, he said, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. He takes it right to the heart issue. I've got a big paragraph here that is crossed out in my notes, and it's full of stats. And as I was processing with Catherine through this message, be assured she's been a part of this, and I've even invited her to share as needed or stand up at any point if she needs to interject, correct, or add to the story. So I'll, I'll get more personal in a second. These stats, stats are hard to analyze and come by in this area. One, who's going to respond transparently? How do you get those stats? Where do you draw them from? It wouldn't take much of a search, and be careful if you do ever search, what to search when you start searching for these kinds of ideas. But the reality is, this is a pervasive issue, it's a growing issue, and it's a normalized issue, sexual immorality and pornography. And by every stat, even the most conservative, half of all men regularly consume pornography, and, and that's on the conservatives. I have some much higher statistics that are startling and alarming more recently that show very little demographic change across age groups, across cultures, 
and across faith professions, across careers, there's very little evidence that there makes any difference into those locales. And so rather than listing stats, which could be then turned and flipped and misunderstood, just understand it is a pervasive issue, and it is growing, and it is normalizing. Perhaps it hasn't changed in expression, but the way our culture is is normalizing it because it can't ignore it, uh, more people are being forthright about it. I don't know. But there may not be a more pervasive, enslaving, numbing form of idolatry than this one. Greed and consumerism might rival it. Stay tuned next week. Aren't you excited? Amazing that Paul can link those two right there. But among you, there must not even be any sexual morality or impurity or greed. They are all darkness. They are all blindness. They all numb us. And it's right in this context that Paul says, as I preached last week, awake, O sleeper. Right in the context of our sexual immorality and impurity, his call for holiness, his call that we would expose the works of darkness, have nothing to do with them, and walk into the light, he says, awake, wake up, church. There may not be a greater form of darkness and blindness, and therefore oppression from the enemy, than these, than this one. And it's thousands of years old. And this is not new. That's what Satan has always done. Taken something good, one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given, be assured of this, uh, sexual intimacy and our sexual identities are a God-given amazing thing in his context. Anytime we take any one of God's gifts and we turn it to our own pleasure and our own fulfillment, we've replaced the created instead of the creator, and that becomes idolatry. If Satan can use this one to continually blind and numb and deaden and enslave, why would he change tactics? These are the flaming arrows of the enemy that he is just firing right in to our lives, to our hearts, to our families, to our community, to our churches. And I don't know that we realize the severity and scope of this or we've excused it or run from it or hidden it. I think these are going to be hard words, this next paragraph. For the men in this room who are regularly looking at pornography, and that's the majority from all statistics, whatever, however you define regular, you are not freed and delivered from this sin. Would you also sexually abuse women and children, enslave them for your pleasure, rape them? And I hope the response to that would be a repulsive no. How dare you even suggest that? I'm offended by that. And yet every click and every tap is supporting an industry of slavery, abuse, victimization, rape, and murder. The sex trafficking industry is the fastest growing form of corruption in our world. It is a $15 billion a year industry. Five million girls will be enslaved this year. Average age between 12 and 14. And it is all built on a billion mouse clicks. It is built on internet pornography. Perhaps that awareness is enough to repulse you and to change you, but I doubt it. Not if Satan has a stronghold in your life. Because for those that are enslaved, they would say, I want free. I want done. 
but I don't know how. I've tried everything. I've, I've prayed. I've confessed. I've, or any number of steps. Our world may call it an addiction. Our scripture calls it a, a stronghold. And, and I don't have the time or the bandwidth or probably even the knowledge, although I've done quite a bit of personal study in this area on addiction. And so I want to be cautious with that term. I want to stay biblical and understand there's a whole lot going on and I can't cover it in 20, 30, 40 minutes or, or more. But if you want to engage further in the conversation, I'm very happy to do that. <clears throat> if we begin to bring pornography, sexual morality, into the light, which is what Paul is calling us to, what Jesus calls us to, if we begin to bring it into the light, the enemy is going to see that and he's going to speak lies and he's going to speak shame and condemnation. Probably with things that you've already thought because you've already heard, the, the mantras that run through your, your mind. If anyone else knew, I'm probably the only one that absolute lies. But know that Satan is at work not to give back the ground that he has taken to develop a stronghold in the lives of men and women, families and churches. And so may we bring it into the light. There is hope. I, I intend to not bring any additional form of shame or condemnation. That would be the work of the enemy because his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, only brings hope, freedom, and deliverance. It should sound like incredible news, but some of us simply do not believe it because practically we've seen it do nothing in our lives. Satan's work from the beginning was to get Adam to be in shame and fearful. And we see that response after that first sin. When God came walking through the garden and found him, what did he say? I was ashamed at my nakedness. I was afraid, so I hid. Nothing has changed, has it? We usually redouble our efforts to keep our, our secret lives, to keep our secret shame and sin hidden because we are afraid. Paul urges us, take a step into the light, walk into the light, Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Awake, O oh sleeper. Right in that context. Sexual immorality has a way of keeping us fast asleep to spiritual things, numb, ineffective, enslaved. The enemy will continue to say to us, for those that do follow Jesus and love Jesus, those are not contrary to one another. But the one that is enslaved in this area is probably hearing things from the enemy that say, you can't lead. You can't even lead yourself. How can you lead your family or your kids? You can't stand up for the gospel. You can't preach it. If they knew what you were doing in secret, those words would be empty. Imagine how many people you would hurt, so you may as well just keep quiet. And on and on we could go with the mantra of the enemy's lies. How could you lead others, your family, your spouse, within your church, if you can't even lead yourself? Answer, because of grace, because of forgiveness, because of hope, because of deliverance, because of healing. So this is where it gets more personal. Uh, more than half of you in this room already know, so may as well go all the way. I had a pornography problem and I had no idea. I'll use that term problem, could probably put another label on that. And you say, how, how, how did you have no idea? Because I wasn't looking at pornography. There, it was a matter of the heart that was already there. So 12 years ago, we were living in Wisconsin, I, and, I, and Catherine and I wonder if God even brought us through that season or there to do this work in our life. Uh, 
depending on your view of sovereignty and providence, but there is a clear work of God in this story. And why I share it now in this, in this midst, I, I just couldn't, I could not, I couldn't not share because before I even began viewing pornography, I was memorizing Ephesians 5 with the youth group because I was leading the Bible quizzing team and Ephesians was our, our context. And uh, at, that, at that time, the best way for me to memorize was to hear it and then recite it. So I had in my car the CD of Ephesians, and in Ephesians 5, there's a verse in, in verse 15 that says, be very careful then how you live. And I swear to you, no matter how loud I turned that CD up and how many times I listened to it, I could not hear anything other than, be very careful, Ben, how you live. I could not hear the then. And so I knew God was speaking, and God will speak however he wants. Are we listening? I knew he was speaking. I knew I needed to make a change. I actually knew in the area that I needed to make that change, in a guardedness, that there was something not right in my heart. But I was not yet looking at pornography. So it did not seem urgent. So I made no change. And without even looking for it, one night, the laptop's open while the TV's on. I was watching a baseball game, but there was a certain commercial that said, for the unedited content, go to this address. And that's all it took. And a few clicks later is all it took. And the sin, that sin was wrong, not good, but it was not tragic. What was tragic was that I did not walk into the light. I considered that as an isolated circumstance that would never be repeated, that I would simply confess to the Lord in quiet. Catherine didn't need to know. I didn't need to hurt her or cause her alarm or concern. Certainly no one at the church needed to know. Could I lose my job for this? I don't know these leaders as well as other leaders in my life. Uh, There was a fear. What What would others think of me? had actually been a part of accountability groups with other pastors who were struggling and confessing their sins in this area, and I wasn't. And so then to go back to that same group and say, okay, now, when it was such an opportunity for me to do, I didn't because of pride, because of shame, because of insignificance, because of fear. The very same things that Satan ultimately wants to crush us with. And it should have revealed a deeper problem, the idolatry in my heart, that pornography was merely a symptom, an expression of something I was longing for. I was looking for something else to fulfill. Something wasn't satisfied in being fulfilled in my life. Sexual immorality is simply the body going where the heart has gone long before. The greatest danger lives inside of us, not outside So has God been speaking to you in this area? Is he speaking now? Inviting you to walk into the light. It actually wasn't long before God, by his grace, brought my sin into the light, not in the way that I wanted it to happen. Ironically, I did lose my job. I did hurt my wife. More so because of concealing and battling alone and hiding than the sin of pornography itself Had I confessed initially, I now know I would not have lost my job. They would have walked with me through a restoration process. They did do that. 
but after losing my job and my license and being suspended for a season. But that said, it catalyzed a journey toward deliverance and freedom and understanding the dangers of sexual immorality and the deeper root of heart idolatry that I would not change. And I wonder if, had I not lost my job, if I would have walked that journey the same way and experienced the same healing and deliverance. Since God, by His grace, has redeemed ministry for me in this season, I want to help. If you've come to our men's group, you probably already know this whole story. But there, your pastor has gone first. Sometimes it takes someone going first and being transparent and speaking of the deliverance and the hope that I've experienced and yet the ongoing battle that continues. When I ask guys, I don't say, do you struggle in this area? I say, how's the battle going? How are you finding victory? How are you not? It's not a if or. So I urge you, share with your spouse or a close friend. And if that seems impossible right now, share with me. As we do every Sunday, I'll invite you. If you need prayer, come forward for prayer. If you need to talk, come talk with me after service. I know in a church our size, even if that's not what you're talking with me about or asking for prayer for you, I, I, well, hang on a second. I, let, let me chat with me after. Send me an email. Send me, it just says help. There's a lifeline that's there. And even in preaching this, I, I, I say, if I would have had this experience in a church service while struggling in the midst of those, in that time frame, would I have responded? Would I have come? I don't think so. I still believed I was going to win this battle on my own. I was blinded. Do not use that as an excuse. If God loves you as much as he says he loves you, he will expose this. Pray that it's sooner than later. We must also come to understand, I should say, if you respond, whether today or or this week, I will never add any shame or condemnation. I understand. I will only point you to the hope and deliverance and freedom that is in Jesus Christ. It may be hard, there may be hurt, there may be consequences, there may be work. But there is great hope. We must come come to understand too, everyone needs to hear this, whether you are on that receiving end or the one actively engaging in sexual immorality, there is something much deeper and dangerous happening in our hearts. Pornography is a symptom, not the root. Your expressions and your symptoms may be different, but that root is still there. We'll get into that more next week. When we walk in darkness, we give opportunity for the enemy to establish a stronghold. I preached on this a few weeks ago, Ephesians 4. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Do not give a place to the devil. Any, ultimately, any sin that we hold on to and harbor gives place to the enemy. We basically invite him into our home. We give him a seat at our table. And from there, he establishes position to do warfare. To ultimately bind us. Spiritually, the transaction is, the authority I have in Jesus, I've now given over to Satan. And that's where that bondage comes. That's where when you say, I, I've tried everything, I think I've done everything, I've prayed, I've, I've confessed, and it, I'm still stuck. It's because there's a spiritual battle that's entrapping and enslaving, and that must be broken. We must rebuke the enemy and he will flee. We must renew our minds in the promises of Jesus, and we must receive what has been done. The transaction is reversed. If you had a room in your house that was full of mold, that was ever expanding, black mold, would you shut the door and tape it up with scotch tape around the edge? Tell your kids not to go in there. 
No, you would eradicate it. You would destroy it. You'd probably move out before you would ever come back into that home. You would absolutely ensure that that deadly mold is destroyed. And yet many of us have done the same thing by giving place, giving room to the enemy in our home. He infects. And he will ultimately steal, kill, and destroy. It's the work that he is about. So we must walk into the light, taking those first steps and you might think like I did. I, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with pornography. Uh, perhaps I'm losing the battle, but it's not a real problem. It's not dysfunction. It's not addiction. And we start to justify and put our own parameters around that. You can be free. You can be delivered. We can. We've been promised. Not through behavior modification, not through support groups, not through accountability software like Covenant Eyes, not through password protections on our home TV, not by chucking your phone into the wall and getting a dumb phone, uh, not by any of those things. And yet all of them might be necessary, but those are behavior modifications. Those are guards. Those are safeguards. We need heart freedom, transformation, deliverance, healing, and that is what Jesus offers. We have work to do with him, but that's what Jesus offers for us. It's his promise we can be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He's in the ministry of deliverance for us. So we must walk into the light exposing the sin, allowing the grace of Jesus to do its work through confession and repentance. That is a gift, a gift, not condemnation, leading to deliverance, freedom, and healing. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. First we confess to God, that is right, but confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Many of us, probably like me, do all of those steps. Cry out to the Lord, as I did many times. Heal me, deliver me, forgive me. But I didn't walk into the light and confess one to another and ask others to pray for me that I might be healed. Take God's word as truth. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. That's the invitation today. And we must rebuke the enemy, his authority, Proclaiming the promises of healing and forgiveness, righteousness, and filling. It's who he says we are, not who the enemy says we are. Resist him and he will flee. Hear this now. Getting caught, if you are living in darkness, in hiding, in fear, and in slavery in this area. Getting caught, being found out, having all your darkest deeds exposed is not the worst thing. The worst thing is is continuing to live in bondage week after week, month after month, year after year. Deadened, numbed, ineffective, enslaved. It's not who you are, and it's not what you've been created for. And if God loves you as much as he says he does, he will expose this. Would you join him in the work of walking into the light while you can? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, He's famously purported as playing a, a lot of jokes, but practical jokes. He played one they had no idea would have the same, this effect. He sent to 12 friends the same simple telegram. Six words. All is discovered. Flee at once. Just to see what would happen. All 12 fled the country. <laughs> and he had no idea what he was doing. He thought he knew his friends, right? But like, I'll, I'll play a joke on him. Most of us redouble our efforts to conceal, to remain in darkness. And we, uh, we fear most being exposed. What would others think of me? 
We we're ultimately are worshiping our own image, our own reputation. And God never, never values our reputation. He values our character. That's what he's after. I remember in my process of restoration reading a book called Out of the Shadows. And I couldn't even finish the first chapter before that my next session. Here, Ben, read this. I think this would be good for you. So I'm reading. I'm like, I couldn't even get through the accounts of how many men have had destroyed their lives, their families, their, even their careers through sexual immorality. Men who were professionals, lawyers, professors, businessmen, pastors, who were living two lives. On the outside, trying to just keep it together, but at night or on business trips, visiting strip clubs and brothels and prostitutes and responding to casual sex inquiries and on and on, on, it, on it goes. And, and I had the same reaction that some of you probably were like, I don't need to hear that. I went to my counselor, sexual addiction specialist, Thomas, Thomas. Yes. <laughs> and I said to him, Dr. Thomas, was I being formal or informal? I don't know. Dr. Thomas, this is not me. I do not need to hear this. These aren't, in, these aren't my thoughts. These aren't my desires. I'm just looking at pornography on the internet and not even that often. Right? Justification. Parameters. And I will never forget what he said to me. He said, Ben, every one of those men started exactly where you started and never wanted this in their life. You are on the very same path. And sooner or later, internet pornography will not be enough. And I think for you, it might be sooner. So I walk into this, trying to be sensitive, trying to speak the truth in love, recognizing that for some you'll say, that's too much, I don't need to hear that, it's, be, it's more than I need. And yet I do believe it is necessary to receive the truth of the path that we may be on. To need more and more for fulfillment. That's what idolatry is. will always leave us empty and longing for more. And yet you already know this. You already know this, especially if this is an area that you have been trapped in or struggled in. And this isn't just a men issue. It seems to be more men. But I think the number of women that are actually confessing, because it's normalizing, is growing. And it's significant. It's a men and women issue. And so you know this as you've turned to these things for whether it's escape or a little bit of pleasure or those endorphins, that adrenaline, all of those things. And then you're just emptier. It never fulfills. And you know it. That's what idolatry is. So we need more of it or something a little different because it felt good in the moment. It's all forms. I won't go down that, that rabbit trail. No matter how much we attain, though, we are never satisfied. Instead of saving us, it will master us. And if we serve our own reputation, worship our own image more than we worship God, we'll never truly walk into the light and freedom of this. And you'll say, like I did, I don't want to hurt my spouse. I don't want to hurt my family. You already are. But how would my children see me if I confessed? Perhaps, depending on the age, I didn't have kids at the time, but perhaps they will come to see you as someone who longs to be holy, righteous, pure, and free. Perhaps they'll come to see you as someone who knows the power of confession and repentance and forgiveness, who knows the grace and freedom of Jesus and that it surpasses all things that this world offers. Someone who wants to daily walk in the dependence on the Holy Spirit. And our kids and our churches could do well with a whole lot more of that.
Paul Tripp said, if what the Bible says is right about who God is and what he has given to us in Jesus Christ, then we should be the most honest community on earth because we know that whatever is known or exposed about us has already been fully covered by his amazing grace. And yet I wonder if as the world assigns a label onto the church that we are the most hypocritical people on earth because we say one thing and we look like we have it all put together, but truly we are no different than anyone else. The reality is they're right. We are no different than anyone else. And so in humility we say because Jesus has loved me that much, he has saved me, delivered me, and shown me incredible grace. And I need it daily. By the way, I've read read quite a few books, both secular and religious, on sex, marriage, purity, holiness, sexual addiction. I could give you a list. I, I think the best one I've read is by Paul Tripp, Sex in a Broken World. I'd recommend it to you. It's not too long, but it puts rightly, starts with who God is, what he's created, the gift he has given, Sex is a gift, it's a good thing, not not to become selfish and used for our own purpose, but actually an act of worship because we are bringing glory to the giver, the one who gives all good things, and in him it can be celebrated. Uh, Without him in our own flesh, it becomes manipulated and twisted. So that's his framework, and I appreciate his ministry. I urge you, if you're a spouse and your husband or your wife does take a step to walk into the light, to walk into confession. Uh, Prepare your hearts for that. I hope you're not sitting here saying, oh, I know the statistics are bad, uh, but not my spouse. I know they're more than half, but not my spouse. There should be hurt. There should be pain. But there should not be shock. Not if our eyes are open. And, And do not follow that with shame or condemnation or withdrawal. Now, you may need a season of, I need to think, I need help. I'm not saying that kind of withdrawal. But that'd be the work of the enemy, to use you then to bring shame, to bring condemnation, to bring a penalty. And would you receive and join the ministry of Jesus who brings healing, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. You may need someone to walk with you through that. I'm so thankful for Catherine who walked through this with me There was hurt and there was pain. Again, primarily because I chose to conceal, not to walk in the light with her. And that was where the greatest pain came. She didn't take it personally as if I had done it against her. I'm so thankful for her understanding and her picture of of what what it was. So this would be the point that I would say, Catherine, is there anything you want to share? What can people come to you afterward? Okay. Just so you know, this is transparent. We did talk about it. We don't talk about every sermon that I preach, and sometimes I hear about that. Um, <laughs> but in this case, I said, if there, I want to leave room there for you to speak of your side and for you spouses who might be in a place to say, I had no idea. You were a part of it. Um, not a part of their sin, not justifying that, but we are one flesh if we're spouses, so that you, you have a part in this. And it's okay to not know it's not something that you should feel like, how could I, I could, uh, you can't, get, Satan will try to put shame and blame on you too to just multiply that, the effects of those sin. But Catherine could be someone that could potentially walk with you 
uh, if you are a female spouse in that regard on that side of it. We want this ministry, we, we feel, I, I've shared on our calling, I've seen the church revitalized, seen marriages restored, that's kind of the middle piece of our calling, and then education reformed. That marriage restored, we think we're just probably beginning to enter into this portion of our ministry. Hard to do that as a 29-year-old pastor who's two years delivered from pornography with no kids, trying to walk, I could speak spiritual truth, but trying to walk dads, grown men, into deliverance and freedom and healing and restoration of marriage, that was difficult. Now we're 16 years into marriage. Some of you are 40, 50. I think we have a little more under our belt to walk with you in this. And I think that part of our ministry is just beginning. And we're going to try to preach together the end of Ephesians 5 in a couple weeks when it talks about husbands and wives. We'll take that exploration journey together of what that might look like. Because Paul has some strong words there uh, that immediately could cause us to react in a way that is is not intended by his words and by the word of, of God. When you bring your sin into the light, that it may be put to death, covered by the blood of Christ, that's where freedom comes. But Satan has fed you the lie that your sin, that your lust, that your flesh, that is who you are. And it is not who you are. You are the light. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, is his promise. Awake, wake up, and Christ will shine on you. The hope is there. The freedom is there. The deliverance is offered. Living, being awake, being free, hiding nothing is not only possible, it is a promise. It is a promise. But you must desire Jesus and his freedom more than any other thing. And as you confess that desire and repent, turn, he will forgive and he will cleanse. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins, all of them, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some, not just part, all of it. It's a promise. Remember David's prayer, and then I'll close and leave a little bit of extra space here just for response if needed. Remember David's prayer, Psalm 51, after extreme sexual immorality. Some even believe as the king who went and called Bathsheba to himself for illicit sex that she had no ability to defend herself or say no to his advances. And whatever that looked like, that was sexual abuse, if not rape. And to cover that sin up, David kills the husband, orchestrates the whole thing. Only later did God break him, and he was fully broken. But here's a man who has written scripture, is called a man after God's own heart, and this isn't, I hope this isn't to make us feel better about our sin. Oh, good. David's well, he's way worse than me. It's to say, that's in every one of our hearts. He just expressed it. He got too much power. He drifted too far from, from God. He gave in to his lust. It's the same path that every one of us is on if we are not walking in the light, but giving in to the lust of the flesh. Maybe it will never express itself like that. Lord, help us but it will continue to express itself in damaging and deadly and abusive ways. 
That's the end of it. Satan always will lead us to a place to destroy, kill, and steal. All things. Families, marriages, homes, communities, churches. That's where the end of the story is. David shows us God's redemption and healing. There was significant consequence. His life would never truly be the same. But God did bring redemption and give healing as he always promises. If you confess you're broken through contrite heart and you turn to me, I will cleanse you, I will forgive you. That's, that's the power of the ministry of what Jesus has done on the cross. We will be forgiven. So there is hope and there is freedom as we trust God's word and his promises. It is for you too. Don't think it's for everyone else. It's just not for me. It is for you. And I believe it's today.